Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast, and thank you for joining with us to worship and learn more about God. We are so excited to have you be a part of this week's service. For more podcasts and services from past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, enjoy the message. so wrong. We knew for sure that he was the one who was going to free us from the Romans, the long-awaited Messiah. But now, he's gone. Dead. Publicly humiliated. Crucified like a common criminal. Buried. And I denied him. Three times. In fear and doubt, I denied him when he needed me the most. Why did I lie and say I didn't know him? I guess I just didn't want anyone to know he called me one of his disciples. After all, I left everything behind to follow him. I abandoned my business, my family, three years of life wasted following him. I gave up everything. And he, he didn't even put up a fight. He just gave up. He wasn't at all who I thought he was. But without him, what do I have? Where do I go? What do I do? What hope is left? I don't believe it. I don't believe him. It's over. You know, for Peter, the Apostle Peter there, his his life is in such turmoil and such disarray right now, he had been following Jesus for three and a half years, one of his closest friends and disciples, and he saw him dragged away, arrested and dragged away. From a distance, he watched him be crucified and his body taken and thrown into a tomb. His his life is filled with confusion, turned upside down. And I can almost picture even Peter using the words, it's over, it's the end, it is finished, which I find striking because ironically, that's the last three words we have of Jesus saying when he hung on the cross. So if you know the story, Jesus, after hanging on the cross for a few hours, he musters enough strength to pull himself up one last time, draws in a final breath, and with that final breath says those words, it is finished. And with Peter, he'd been following Jesus. And when Jesus said, it is finished, you could almost picture him. You're like, dang right, it's finished. Everything that I desired in life was hanging upon you. And now you're dead in a tomb. Yeah, it's finished. All right. But Peter's life didn't have to be this way. And I would argue that Jesus didn't want Peter's life to be this way. This is not what Jesus would want for Peter's life. And I'll argue for us in the room today, this is not at all what God would want for us as well. God does not want our lives to be in a constant state of chaos and confusion. Amen. Amen. He doesn't want that for us. He is a good God. He wants something different for us. And we can argue that point because we know that before Jesus was arrested, 
that he said these words to his disciples. He, he drew them close and he said something like this. He said, um, I'm going to be arrested, crucified, and raised again from the thir- on the third day. But when they strike me, the shepherd, the flock is going to scatter. He knew that Peter would deny him. He knew that, that the disciples would run away in fear and concern, wondering if their own lives are going to be taken, much like Jesus' life. He knew that was going to take place. But Jesus prayed for Peter, and he said these words, I pray that your faith not fail you, that your faith wouldn't fail. But because Peter's faith was misplaced, and you can learn all about that from last week's podcast if you want to catch up with that. But because Peter's faith was misplaced and who Jesus wasn't, not who he was, he had a wrong understanding of Jesus' purpose. And because of that, he denied him over three times. As Jesus was dragged away by the soldiers, he's headed into a mock trial at the high priest's house in the courtyard. Jesus and some other, or Peter and some of the other people are watching from a distance. And, and Peter is confronted three times by individuals asking if he was one of Jesus' disciples. A young girl, servant girl comes up to Peter and says, hey, weren't you with him? Weren't you one of his followers? And he goes, nope. Another person asks, and one person even hears Peter speaking in his Galilean northern accent. He's a northerner. He goes, your accent gives you away. You're Galilean. You are with Jesus. And Peter responds with these words, and he says, I don't even know the man. Not only was I not following him, I don't even know him. And there's been, never been a more true and false statements spoken at the exact same time, I think, in the history of the world. Peter lied. In that moment, he lied to them. Of course he knew Jesus. For the last three and a half years, he followed Jesus everywhere. He, in a sense, lived with him as they traveled the countryside performing miracles and signs and wonders, teaching and preaching about the kingdom of God that was to come. He lied. Of course he knew Jesus. But he was also telling the truth when he said, I don't know him. Because what you need to know is Peter was expecting Jesus, the king of Israel that they'd been waiting for. And Jesus is the king of Israel for sure. But Peter thought he was going to come and he was going to defeat their great oppressor, Rome. Even though Israel was living in the promised land, the Jewish people were living there. They had a temple they could go worship at, but they were still under Roman control. They did not have an autonomy or a freedom, America, right? They didn't have a freedom that they so wanted. And so they thought for sure, Peter especially thought that Jesus is going to come and going to defeat Rome. We will be liberated and we will worship God the way God intended us to. But when Jesus was arrested, Peter pulls out a sword and says, it's on. Because Peter just assumes that a battle is going to be waged and through battle cries and bloodshed and dead bodies, that Jesus and Peter and the rest of the disciples would emerge victorious and the kingdom would belong to God again. But Jesus tells Peter to put the sword down. Huh? What? And as Peter's led away, led by torchlight into the high priest's house, Peter follows behind. You see, he had a misunderstanding. When Jesus gave up, that's what Peter's thinking. When he gave up, he said, well, this is, this is ridiculous. This is not the man I thought he was. So I think he was telling the truth when he said, I do not know Jesus. But you have to understand, Peter did come to defeat an enemy for God's people, not just the Israelites, but for all of humanity. And that great enemy, for those of you in the room listening, is this. The great enemy that, that Jesus comes to defeat is sin. The Bible's replete with passages that tells us that that because of sin in the earth, death reigns here. 
Just look around. You see death and destruction. It's on the news. It's everywhere you look. And sin rules this place. And, and Jesus comes to defeat that enemy, sin and death. And if he's going to defeat death, how does one defeat death? And I'll tell you how you do it. You die. And then you raise back to life. That's the only way to defeat death. It's the only way to defeat the, the, the outcome of sin is to die and be and overcome death and raise again. And Jesus was raised from the dead. Amen. This is a fun cultic thing. Watch this. He is risen. Isn't that bizarre? That's such a Pavlovian response. You don't even know you're doing it. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Yes, we believe that to be true. Christ is risen. And he wants us to know that. He defeated sin, defeated death, and defeated the grave. And Jesus wanted for Peter, and he wants for us to have a faith that won't fail us. And he wants us to have a faith that, that when life gets hard, when life is topsy-turvy, when things are chaotic and, and crazy, that our, our, our faith in Jesus would still be strong. It would be an undeniable faith, a faith that doesn't fail us, a faith that's rooted in the truth of who Jesus is. And because faith in the truth of Jesus in his death and his burial and his resurrection, because it is the key to life, Seriously, those three points, his death, his burial, and resurrection, that is the key that will unlock life. Not just life eternal, that's wonderful, yes and amen, but life here and now. Now there's a key for those of us in the room that if your life needs to be opened into something greater, the key is Jesus in his death and burial and resurrection. In fact, the Apostle Paul, if you, if you ever read the New Testament, the Apostle Paul wrote most of our New Testament. He uses that type of language about Jesus' death and his burial and resurrection as primary um, facts. Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Just by way of reminder for you, if you don't know the story, um, the Apostle Paul is uh, an itinerant preacher. He goes around preaching to different places and he tells them about Jesus, tells them these facts that we'll talk about in a moment. And he establishes churches, installs pastors, and he moves on to other places. And then he writes letters back to these churches occasionally. And one of the letters we have is this letter to the Corinthians we call 1 Corinthians. And so he's writing to Christians, people that he led to Jesus some years prior. And he says this in verse one of chapter 15. He says, I want to remind you, Christians, brothers and sisters, of the gospel. Now, in church world, we like to say gospel because it sounds fun, but it really just means good news. I want to remind you of the good news that I, Paul, preached to you and which you received. He says, you heard the message and you received it. And verse two, that gospel is how you are saved. Like your salvation is rooted in that. If you hold fast to the words that I preached to you. He says this, unless some of you have believed in vain. I find that striking because um, one would think that all of them are Christians. Like in the church here, you might assume that everyone in the, the, the church here is a Christian. Um, some might assume that. I don't. I've been doing this rodeo long enough to know not everyone in this room is a Christian. I, I've known some people who've, who follow Jesus, but don't follow him fully because they don't really have an understanding of what the resurrection means for them that they follow Jesus as some good moral teacher, some, some stereotype person to follow after, to live a good life like him, maybe attend church occasionally. But if you don't believe in the resurrection, which is Paul's point here, then you're not worshiping Jesus. 
you're not worshiping the, you're not following the right person. Look what he says, verse three, I delivered to you of first importance, like numero uno, this is what you have to write down if you're getting tattoos, start with this, <laughs> right? Christ has died for you in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, verse four, and verse five, that he was raised from the dead on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Those three facts are the message of the gospel. They are the good news for all of us. They are the things that unlock life for us. Jesus died, he was buried, and he was raised from the dead. And then he has this interesting line, verse five, after those three facts, after the gospel, he adds this line, check it, it says this, and verse five, and then he, Jesus, after his resurrection, he appeared to who? Peter. To Peter. He goes and finds Peter, and then to the 12, or the 11, Judas, boo, mine, 11 minus, right, 12 minus one, 11. So he, he goes to Peter, and I find it interesting that Paul as he's writing to Christians and he's talking to them about the importance of the gospel, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and then he throws into that Peter's life. That there's something about the story of Peter, Peter's story, that will, that will speak to us about the true nature of the gospel. It's almost to say, now when, when Paul is writing these words, Peter's still alive, he's down in Jerusalem. It's almost to say, hey, if you don't believe me, drive down to Jerusalem and ask him yourself. But for us... We just see this thread of Peter's life woven into the gospel narrative that might open up something for us and be so helpful. So I just want to chase this idea of Peter's story and Peter's life, but for a moment. Peter's story begins with his name. Peter, when he was born on the eighth day, he would have been ceremoniously circumcised. That's fun to say. He was ceremoniously, I can't even say it again. He was circumcised and was given his name by his mom and his dad, Simon. Peter's name was not Peter at his birth. His birth name is Simon. He, be, he became known as Peter because Jesus gave him the nickname Peter. Peter means rock, and Jesus gave him the nickname rock. And it's for a good reason, not like a bad reason, like you get nicknames like Stinky or Chunky or some other thing. Thank you, these are the jokes. Just keep it light, let's go. I'm just telling you, 8.30, love that one. I don't know what it is with you guys. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yes, it's his nickname. It's called Rock. And he gives them that nickname Rock because Peter believed that Jesus was the soon coming king, that he was the Messiah that was coming to rescue God's people. Again, on that truth, Jesus calls him the Rock. But the unfortunate thing is that Peter thought his, their great oppressor wasn't sin, but it was in fact Rome. And so when they crucified him and they buried him in a tomb, Peter's life just spins out of control. He's thinking what all of us are probably thinking if we were Peter, how can a dead king conquer anything? How can a dead king conquer anyone? How can a dead king help us? And so he's confused, he's concerned Concerned for his safety, that he and the other disciples are probably hiding somewhere together. You can imagine if they got to Jesus and he was liked by the people and killed him, how much more will they do to us? In my mind, they're just waiting for the Sabbath to end so that they can leave Jerusalem once and for all and travel back to their hometowns in Galilee and Capernaum and all of that. 
You see, when Jesus was crucified, he was crucified on a Friday, which is why we call it Good Friday, which just sounds strange, just so you know. I get it. But he was crucified on a Friday and they took his body down, his dead body down before the sun went down on Friday. And why is that significant? Because the Sabbath, the day of rest for the Jewish people was about to begin and they needed to get his body down and anointed and thrown into a tomb before the sun went down because you can't work on the Sabbath. And so they take his body down that afternoon, they anoint it, they put it into a tomb and they roll a stone in front of it and the tomb lay there all 20, the next 24 hours or so, the Sabbath, the, the Jewish people, the disciples, they probably go back to homes, other uh, friends' house where they sit together, they pray together probably, they, they worship the Lord. Is, is, can you do that in the midst of all this turmoil that's going on? They do that and they wait for the Sabbath to end on Saturday night. When the Sabbath finally ends, it's dark outside so they don't do anything. But on the next day, Sunday morning, it says that the Bible tells us that some of the disciples, some women, and I love that detail, some women disciples leave where everyone else was and they make their way to the tomb on Sunday morning. Look at this, uh, Mark chapter 16, verse one. It said, when the Sabbath was passed, that Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome brought spices so they might go and anoint him. And pause here. So three women are leaving the rest of the disciples with spices. What is this? They're going to bake a cake? No, these are burial spices that you would put on a dead body to anoint the body, right? It probably had something to do with, I don't know, the decaying, the smell. I, we don't know for sure, but it was, it was a moment of last respects, if you will. And they're taking spices to the tomb. Now, why would they take spices to a tomb? Because they're intending to see a dead body. Jesus is dead in the tomb. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen on Sunday, they go to the tomb. And verse three, it says, and they were saying to one another, well, who is going to roll away the stone for us? They, they, it's like they forgot this detail. Like every person that's buried in their day, this is, a, this is maybe helpful for us. But when we think of burials today, we think of a, a ground cut like in a graveyard. Um, a body placed in a casket or a box of some sorts, uh, place that box in the ground and then we cover it back up and we have no intention to ever pull that body back out, right? That's for the movies and stuff like that. We just leave that there. We put a little marker out front so we know where grandma or grandpa is, but that's where they are and we leave them. But in their day, in Jesus' day, that's not how they buried people. They would have a, a, a little cave of sorts, maybe some cool place that's been hewn out of rock and they would take a dead body that's been anointed with spices and, and burial clothes and they would put them into this little cave area, roll a large stone in front of it to probably prevent robbers from coming and taking grandma's jewelry, we don't know. And probably to keep, this sounds gross, but to keep critters out from going in while the body's decomposing. That's a weird thought, but it's true. And they would leave the body in there until it's fully decomposed until the smell stopped coming out. And then eventually they would roll the stone away. Somebody would go in and, and pick up all of the bones, put them in a box and take them home and put them on the mantle. Weird, right? But that's how their burials were done. So on their way to this tomb, they're thinking to themselves, who's gonna roll this large stone away for us? As if they just missed that idea. And it says here in verse four, and looking up, they lift their head up and see the tomb and oh my goodness, check, the stone has been rolled back. And Mark tells us it was a very large stone. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for that detail. 
We wondered, we all wanted to know, was it a big one? I don't know. It was, it was a large one. Verse five, Mark continues. And it says, and the women, they enter the tomb. And instead of seeing a dead body, what do they see? They see a young man sitting on the right side of where the, the body would have been laid. And this young man is dressed in a white robe and it says they were alarmed. What an understatement, yeah? They were alarmed. Now, who is this young man that these women see in the tomb? I can tell you. The Bible is filled with stories of um, God sending angels to his people. And these angels would oftentimes take the form of a person. And if you didn't know this, the word angel actually means messenger. So this young man sitting in the tomb is a angel. It's a messenger from God. And listen to the message that the angel gives the women. This is what he says, verse six. And he says to them, don't freak out. Don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, aren't you? And this is important for us because there was some rumor many days and years following this moment of Jesus' resurrection. When people argued that the women, when they left their place and went to the tomb early in the morning, that it was still sort of dark outside and through all of their despair and grief, they inadvertently got to the wrong tomb. You ever gone to the wrong address? The argument is they've gone to the wrong tomb. And so when they go back to the disciples and say, oh, his body's gone, oh my goodness, everyone's just assuming that, well, you just dummies, you went to the wrong place. <laughs> that tomb's not even being used right now. It's open, waiting for someone. But the angel says that's not true. And why? Because the angel says, you're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He says, you're in the right spot. This is where you should have been coming and you are here but he is not here. And he says this about Jesus too. He says that the uh, angel says that Christ or Jesus had been crucified. And that's an important detail for us as well, because there was another rumor that started much long after Jesus' resurrection was that fact that, that in fact, Jesus maybe didn't die, that he was just beat up really bad, like getting hit by a truck or something. And they thought he was dead because he was just really sore and didn't move. And they put him into this tomb and being in there for three days in the, in the damp coolness of the tomb, somehow he resuscitated and came back. This is a, a theory called the swoon theory and we don't believe it. Why is that? Because the angel tells us he was crucified. He's dead, dead. If you know nothing about the crucifixion, know this, our word excruciating comes from crucifixion. It means out of the cross. So excruciating, pain, torture, like that's what Jesus experienced. Secondarily, he was over, his crucifixion was overseen by Roman soldiers, trained soldiers whose very job it was to kill people. Jesus was crucified. Amen? I don't believe you. But he was. Jesus was crucified. The angel tells us so. And, oh my gosh, the important part. Almost missed it. He is risen. Oh my gosh. How'd I forget that part? Oh my goodness. No, he has risen. You're looking for him. You're in the right place. He was dead 100%, but he is risen. He is not here. And you can put your hands where his body was. 
It's not, maybe it was dark in there. I don't know. Come look where they laid him. He says that Jesus was crucified, that he was buried in a tomb and he was risen. I'm telling you guys, these are the exact same three things that Paul wrote to the Corinthians about. Remember when he says, of first importance, let me tell you the gospel by which you're being saved. It is this, that Christ died, he was buried and he raised again. Yes? And then Mark gives us this strange little detail. Look at verse seven. Now angel says to the women, but when you leave, go back and tell the disciples and who? Peter. What? Peter's back in the story again. Paul lists him. And now the angel says, I want Peter to know. Really, the angel is just referring to the message that God wants to give Peter that Jesus is alive. Hear me when I say this. Jesus wants Peter to know that he has been raised from the dead. If I could convince you of one thing in my life, it is this, Christ has been raised from the dead. Like he wants Peter to know it, hear me, God wants all of us to know that and to believe it to be true. He wants us to know that he's been raised from the dead. Jesus, what I love about this in Peter's story is that, is that he doesn't give up on him. Even though he denied him three times and made some mistakes for sure, like many of us, Jesus never gave up on him. In fact, the angel continues and says these words. He says, listen, go, go to the disciples, tell Peter, and then tell them this. Tell them that Jesus is going back to Galilee, back up north again. Why is this? He says he's, he's bouncing from Jerusalem. He's going to go back to Galilee. The shepherd that had been struck and the sheep had been scattered is gathering the sheep back together in Galilee where his ministry first started. And as we were talking or singing earlier, and I think Torsten made mention of this, is that when Peter denied him three times, Jesus reinstated him, asking him three different times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Yes. And if he says, if you do love me, what will you do? You will tend my sheep. He is what? He is installing Peter as the shepherd of his people. Jesus will soon ascend back to heaven where he will reign and rule forever. And he's leaving Peter with the message of the gospel and to shepherd his people. Woo! It is important that Peter get this message. Hear me. It is important that you get this message. Christ has raised from the dead. He has overcome sin and the exhaust of sin, which is death. Your life, should you be living it beneath the abundant life that God calls you to, you're living it on your own accord because you're not believing what Jesus has done for you. Jesus wants Peter to know that he's been raised from the dead. God wants you to know that his son has been raised from the dead. Peter's failures did not continue to define his life. Can I tell you that your failures do not have to continue to define your life? When we talk about Christ being raised from the dead, it's not just that he was raised from the dead, but he offers salvation and resurrection for us. We have the newness of life afforded to us in Christ Jesus. No longer did Peter's life have to be filled with doubt and confusion and distress, but his life had purpose and meaning and our lives can as well. Peter found the way of salvation through faith in Jesus, the real Jesus the one who overcame sin and death and the grave, not the one who's gonna defeat some military political entity called Rome. Praise God, <laughs> he overcame sin. And that faith led Peter back to Jesus. 
I have a few more words. I'll finish with uh, these things here. Three women go to the tomb for a purpose. They had a purpose. And as I already alluded to, they're bringing burial spices. They're intending to see a dead body. If you read the gospel stories of Jesus, you know that somebody had already anointed Jesus' body with spices. In fact, there's a, some detail about the amount of uh, pounds. There's a lot of pounds that they put of spices around Jesus. It's possible the women didn't know that and they thought they should do this too. I don't know. It's possible they did know it, but they wanted to do it as well. Like they love Jesus so much. Let us go anoint him. Let's give him that last respect and just, just care for him as he moves his way into the tomb. But know this, they went to the tomb with a purpose and the purpose was to see a dead body and to anoint that dead body with spices is not something they, they this is something rather they have done before. They've done this, done this many times before. I'll argue this, it's a common thing. Nothing unusual was to take place here. And some of you in this room are here for a purpose. I don't know what the purpose is. Can I be honest with you? I don't care. I don't care. Right? It's possible that, that you're here because a friend invited you, a family member invited you, that coworker finally beats you down, says you gotta come to church. And you're like, whatever, I'll do it. But as long as we can go out for ham after, that's where you're at right now. I have no idea. I don't know why you're here. There's some intention for you coming and you've been to church before and you're expecting nothing unusual to take place. You've been to church dozens of times. But when the women got to the tomb, the stone had been rolled away. The very thing that, that prohibited them, them from seeing the truth of Christ's resurrection, the very thing that was blocking that from their view was rolled aside. And my question for all of us in the room is this, who rolled the stone away? Who moved the rock who moved the stone so that they could see the truth? Let me tell you who it wasn't. It wasn't the women, right? We've already read, Mark testifies to that fact. The women are walking there and they're going, oh my goodness, who's gonna move the stone for us? It wasn't them. They couldn't do it on their own. Mark even tells us it was a large stone. Three women couldn't move it on their own. Let me tell you who else it wasn't. It wasn't their friends, the other disciples. There's no way they went to the tomb and moved the stone back for them. You know why? Because the other gospels tell us that when Christ was laid in the tomb and they sealed it with the stone, and they put Roman soldiers on each side of the tomb and no one enters the tomb under penalty of death. The friends didn't roll the stone away so they could see the truth. Let me just say this to you. For those of you that are visiting, you have to know how dear and special Easter is to me. I became a Christian on an Easter Sunday way, way back, like 27 years ago. Yes, thank you for that shout, mom. That's awesome. <laughs> it, it is so special. There, there are people here, you've come, you, you don't really understand why you're here, but, and you just don't follow after Jesus because there's some type of, of disconnect or something blocking you from understanding the truth of who Jesus is. There's a stone, if you will, to use that metaphor, a rock of disbelief, distrust. Maybe you've been hurt by a church and you're not, I'm not following Jesus because the church is crazy or whatever. Maybe you're an intellectual. There's probably smart people in here. You're an intellectual and you're thinking to yourself, well, there's no way that people raised from the dead. This is just an ancient story from an ancient civilization. It's sort of fabulic. It's, it's make-believe. It's whatever. 
And there's something that's blocking you from seeing this truth. And I'm telling you, God wants to move the stone away from you just like he moved the stone away for the women. You see, the one who moved the stone was God. Hear me when I say this. You can't move the stone of disbelief in your life. You can't do it. Only God can do that. You can't, you can't have your friends like move your stone of disbelief and oh God, we want to, I promise you. Like we're like, they're such a mess, Lord. Can we just help them see the truth? But we can't do it for you. I, I can't do it. And this is my job. Like I get, I get paid to do this. This is awesome, <laughs> right? I don't lift heavy boxes or nothing. This is my job. <laughs> this is it. <laughs> like I'm gonna go home and take a nap and I'm getting paid for today. That's just awesome. It's great. I don't, I don't know how I got this job. Thank you, Lord. I can't move the stone for you. But God wants to. He really, really wants to. Like the women, you have to just start the journey. You can't just sit where you're at and just assuming like it's going to get better. You have to just start the journey. They were on their way thinking to themselves. They didn't even realize the stone was dead. Like, oh my God, who's going to roll the stone away? Listen, they started the journey and started moving towards Jesus. And God in his great care and love for them moved the stone so they could see the truth. God wants you to see the truth, but you've got to move towards him. Maybe that's why you're here. I said earlier, you have a purpose. And I said, I didn't care what the purpose was. I lied. Of course I care. Of course I care. I want you to fall in love with Jesus. I want you to fall in love with the, the real Christ, the one that's risen from the dead, the one who holds the key to unlock life abundant and life eternal. I want you to know who Jesus is. 27 years ago, the pastor in the church that I was attending um, asked everyone in the room to bow their heads. Would you bow your heads for me? And he just started asking questions. He said something like this. He says, if there's anyone here in the room that, that for whatever reason, God has done a work in you today, even that he's opened your eyes to see the truth of who Jesus is. And, and for whatever reason, like you didn't believe when you walked in, but for whatever reason now, it, it, like, it feels like it might be true. If that's you, he said, would you just raise your hand? And my hand went up. So let me ask you, for those of you that are in the room here and we it, by no means are intending to embarrass anyone, we're not gonna ask you to do anything, but I would love to know just by a show of hands, how many people would like to invite the Lord into their life to move the stone of doubt and disbelief away and that, they could, that you could know the real Jesus. If you just raise your hand so I could see them. Lord, you see hands. Look at this, Lord, this is amazing. Praise the Lord. God, I pray that the Holy Spirit would now come in like the Bible says and would seal, you can put your hands down, and would seal this belief in us now that, that whatever door that the, the Spirit has opened for us, whatever stone of doubt and disbelief has been rolled away, that, that, that we believe now that the, the Holy Spirit of God would seal that and we would remain Jesus's that we would remain his, that our faith in him would be secure and settled. And when life is, is filled with turmoil, when we make mistakes and feel shame and guilt, we look to Jesus, our risen Christ, who offers us a new beginning. 
Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for our time this morning. We, we thank you, God, that he is risen and he is risen indeed. We thank you for the, the truth of the story. We thank you for the story of Peter's own life. We thank you that we get to look at someone like Peter, who's by all accounts is just like us. He made terrible mistakes, spoke way too soon, didn't think long enough before he spoke, rash decisions he made, Lord. And his story is so much like ours. Lord, Peter just personifies our own life. And we just thank you, Lord, that if you can save Peter because you love him, then you can save us. And we are thankful for that. Lord, for everyone else who's a Christian in the room, um, I just pray, Lord, that our, our tongues would be loosed and that we would praise our King, our risen King, who is Jesus Christ, that we have one more song to do. Lord, would you just give us voices to shout your praise and your glory? We love you, Lord, and we uh, pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone says amen. Amen. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you.